Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thanks for joining me on this rather dark and gloomy day in July. It's the 11th uh, Thursday as always and um, ahead of the British Grand Prix already at that midpoint of the Formula One season. Going to be previewing that race for you on this episode. Talking about supercars as well later on. Townsville over the last weekend. It's a couple of great races. MotoGP was on as well. And of course, and I'm still kind of recovering from this last night, uh, State of Origin and the final game, The Decider, which uh, New South Wales ended up winning. So I'll talk about that a bit later on. But anyway... Let's get into the racing talk, and yeah, the birthplace of Formula One, the spiritual home of Formula One is Silverstone, the British Grand Prix, and um, coming into this race, or coming into this week, sorry, before last night, there was speculation about the future of this event at Silverstone as well, it's been talked about pretty much all year, or, you know, dating back to 2017 when they triggered that... um, break clause in the contract that they had with Bernie Eccleston which was signed back in 2009 Um, their hope was to try and broker a new deal a more cheaper deal I guess um, with the race fee having go you know going up every year with the Formula One group so you know Silverstone hemorrhaging money they couldn't really um, like I think they don't get government funding or something like that for their for the race and it's all basically based on the efforts of the BRDC and um, whatever revenue that they get from the circuit. So, yeah, no wonder that they activated that break clause. And we talked about it quite a bit over the last couple of years since that had happened. And I was quite, um, I don't want to say outspoken, but I really wasn't a fan of how, even though Formula One has new owners now and the Bernie Eccleston era is sort of gone and finished, Um, I wasn't a big fan of how Silverstone were trying to posture basically for a better deal with the new owners. I mean, Liberty Media so far have been quite fair with all the deals that they've done. I mean, sure, we've lost a couple of races. Malaysia's gone at the end of this year. We should see Barcelona and uh, Germany also gone. But that's not for a lack of Liberty Media trying, you know, to... It was basically all these deals were done under the Bernie Eccleston era... Um, they couldn't really change anything because these contracts were so watertight um, that nothing could have happened. So basically now we're a few years into Liberty Media's reign over the sport that they can start, you know, as these old contracts come to an end and obviously the big one is going to be the Concord Agreement beyond 2021. Um, Sorry, for 2021 and beyond you know, this is where they start to shape the sport to how they want it to be. And so far, you know, they've basically shown us that they are about expanding the sport, growing the sport, not just as a sport, but as a, um, as a business as well, commercially, and actually attract more fans. You know, that's, I guess, the core thing about the way that they're working at the moment is that they're trying to attract more fans, whereas the previous commercial rights group were just about raising revenue from wherever they can, even if it meant dealing with, uh, let's say, less than personable uh, (laughs) um, parties. But yeah, it's great to see, actually, you know, even though I wasn't a fan of the Silverstone group trying to posture their way into a better deal, that the deal has been done, a five-year extension for Silverstone and the British Grand Prix, 
bit of a threat from the London City Grand Prix as well that they've been talking about for some time, having a, a race in downtown London, but I guess that's still a bit too far from actually becoming a reality. But Silverstone's always been a, a fan favourite circuit. It's a, one that everyone you know, tunes in to watch. I've not been to the actual race. I'd love to someday just to tick it off the box or even go to one of the MotoGP races there. But, you know, they've got MotoGP there. They've got the World Endurance Championship. Uh, they've resurfaced the track this year to suit Formula One as well because there was a bit of a hoo-ha last couple of years when they resurfaced it and it was actually better for MotoGP, which meant it were, wasn't a great surface for Formula One, so this year they're, uh, you know, made it so that the F1 cars would be better suited, tyres will be a lot better suited as well, which, you know, this year so far has been a, a big talking point of the championship, how the tyres are just not really offering much as far as unpredictability is concerned, and we're getting these boring one-stop races. Might be the same case this time out in Silverstone. Lewis Hamilton gunning for a sixth win, which will make him the best um, in Britain, or the best at Silverstone, actually. You know, he's tied at the moment with, I think, Jim Clark and maybe Alan Prost, I'm not sure, on five wins in total. And all five of those wins for Hamilton have come at Silverstone, including four back-to-back from 2014 to 2017. So... When it comes to this track, he's quite imperious. We all see the reception he gets being the world champion, the British world champion, and of course, the horde of fans that are there to support him. So it's hard to go past him, given the form that he's had so far this season. Ferrari have already come out and said that, uh, you know, they've conceded that their car might not suit the circuit, unlike last year. So, you know, last year we saw pole position and sorry pole position went to Hamilton by like a tiny margin and um, the race was won by Sebastian Vettel and it was you know one of those epic races I said this last week too that um, when doing that uh, top five races of the hybrid era for when we did the celebration for the 1000th Grand Prix that um, Silverstone 2018 was definitely one of my favourites. Um, just the on-track action, the wheel-to-wheel racing between the top four cars. So we had Vettel and Hamilton going wheel-to-wheel, Raikkonen, Bottas. It was, and then throw in Max Verstappen as well at some point in there too. It was, it was one of those really spectacular races. And you look at those corners like Maggots and Beckett's Chapel and all that high-speed corners. It's um, it's got the formula there for a good race and one of those driver's circuits. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen this year if Ferrari are already taking their um, their hat out of the ring. Red Bull, prior to the hybrid era, they had three wins here. Uh, Mark Webber was really successful. I think he won twice and uh, there was a win for Sebastian Vettel in there as well. But um, And even though they're buoyed by their form in Austria, you know, you don't think it's going to be theirs for the taking there uh, in Britain because Mercedes are really strong if something happens to Mercedes then you could probably say Red Bull or Ferrari could get into the mix but other than that I don't see it being possible but as far as the championship is concerned if there is some kind of faint hope for Valtteri Bottas in there he's got to come out and have a good weekend um, win the race and try and cut that deficit to Lewis Hamilton down. Um, he finished ahead of Hamilton last time out in Austria. Hamilton down in fifth, Bottas on the podium third. So, you know, the biggest 
blow, I guess, to Hamilton's championship would be to, if he lost a race to Bottas on home soil, but given the form this year, I don't think it's possible at all for that to happen. So, yeah, you know, I, it's really hard going into these races to talk up the chances of anyone else to try and go for the win apart from Hamilton. We're sort of back in that 2015 uh, or 2014 type of scenario where, you know, you, you look at the race before going into it and kind of can predict what will happen but um you know unless they come out and say we've got to take engine penalties or they have something go wrong for them during the weekend (laughs) it's not very not looking very optimistic but you know that being said there's still you know what is it like 50 52 laps or whatever there's still plenty of opportunity for someone to get in there something to go wrong you've got the midfield as always as well which is going to be interesting because um so far this year whatever we've seen in the midfield's been a lot more riveting than what we've seen um at the front of the field i know last time out austria was verstappen versus charles leclerc but you know the midfield has sort of been where it's been at and mclaren are that form team at the moment in the midfield looking to secure a strong result at their home track as well which hasn't been too kind to them in the past but um in the past few years i should say but yeah so far they've been looking really strong they've been stronger than their team that supplies their engines as well in Renault and Renault I guess for them we've had Daniel Ricciardo come out and say that he fears that there could be a fundamental car issue um, with the RS19 so if that's the that's the problem then you know their whole season could be compromised unless they find a way to work themselves out of that situation and yeah, Canada was really good for them. We thought that this is where Renault start taking those forward steps and they're going to be that fourth best team on the grid. But post-Canada, they've just had a dip. France, their home race wasn't too great. Austria last time out, there was no points in it for them. And what do they do here at Silverstone now? Especially when McLaren have got Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, who've both been announced to be staying with the team for next year which is great news and we'll talk a little bit about the silly season as well um, a bit later but yeah you know for those guys riding high on confidence McLaren the team itself is uh, rebuilding from the inside out and hard to see them to be beaten at on home soil if it if it can be Um, other guys you know racing point I guess still suffering from legacy problems of what happened last year to the team financially before they had the takeover you know the new car it's not going to debut anytime soon even though this is their home race so they'll be just happy to take points wherever Alfa Romeo was strong as well last time out so you know you could expect them to be taking a result and Toro Rosso it's always a question mark how they'll fare all the purists would probably like Williams to get a good result on home soil as well, uh, especially for George Russell, the British driver too. But, you know, I guess from the back of the grid, which they've been consigned to all season, that doesn't seem likely. But I keep bringing up the fact that they've finished every race so far this season, so there's a bit of consistency there for them. But as far as scoring some points, they still look pretty far, especially, you know, when you look at that one-lap qualifying pace, um, you know, two seconds off pole position, two and a half seconds, it's it's not very good for them, so the whole season's basically a write-off, they'll be lucky to score points if they can at some point, maybe if they have a, 
if there's a crazy race in Brazil or Singapore, they could sneak in, but it doesn't seem very likely on the pace that and the numbers that they're currently showing. But behind Williams, or they should be ahead of Williams, but at the moment in Austria they finished behind them, which is quite embarrassing, is there trouble brewing at Haas? So this morning, um, wake up, look at the news as always, and uh, it almost sounded like there was a, a drunk rant on Twitter on the Rich Energy um, F1, t- sorry, the Rich Energy um, Twitter account, almost seemed like there was some kind of a drunk uh, rant happening on there because, you know, they've just gone and announced that they're going to be terminating their partnership with the Haas F1 team because of their recent performances and finishing behind Williams in Austria was the was the breaking point that they apparently were supposed to be beating Red Bull and everything um, this year. I mean, in which planet <laughs> are they going to achieve that? So that's going to uh, that's going to be a story that's going to develop over the weekend, and I'm sure I can sure uh, share some more thoughts on it next week and everything. But yeah, the whole rich energy thing coming into this year was very um, was very dubious. You could say there was a lot of uh, question marks over over them and what their actual commitment to F1 is and whether the the whole legitimacy of the the business and all you know there was a lot of question marks over that it was funny I got to try rich energy at the Australian Grand Prix this year I'm like well you're never going to find this in the supermarket apparently you can get it over there in the UK but um had a few few cans and even got one here that I'm keeping an empty can as like a memento so you know later on down the track I'm sure it'll become a valuable commodity but um yeah, you know, it just tastes like Red Bull and looks like a Red Bull can that they've just probably rebranded to, to Rich Energy. But anyway, so Haas, I guess, I don't know if Rich Energy is something that they should be worried about too much. It's probably more so they've got to fix their on-track performances. Kevin Magnussen, again, he was a star in qualifying last time out in um, in Austria, but just in the race, it, was, it all fell to shambles. And Roman Grosjean, again... I guess with the silly season coming around, um, he his name is constantly thrown about as being under pressure. This time last year as well, he had a string of DNFs. He I don't think he even scored points at this time last year, and that was you know talking about how this could be it for him in F1. Ended up getting renewed for another year, and so far this year it's not been very impressive. Kevin Magnussen again has been that driver who's been the the standout. So. Yeah, look for Grosjean to be another name tossed up in the silly season. And, you know, Haas are a solid team. They've achieved quite a lot already in their short um, in their short time in F1. They're just going through a bit of a dip at the moment. So if I were a midfield driver, um, you know, if I were a midfield driver, I would be looking at Haas as a potential destination for next year. So, you know, you'd, you'd expect them to keep Magnussen on board, but um, Grosjean, 50-50, or it's looking slightly lopsided at the moment. And, you know, Grosjean's been a solid driver since, you know, obviously his first spell in F1 with uh, Renault and as Fernando Alonso's teammate wasn't that great. But then when he came back with Lotus in 2012 alongside Kimi Raikkonen, there was some problems there too, but he managed to, to fix, you know, turn himself around. He said he was seeing a psychologist and everything and the whole first lap nutcase thing. 
sort of went to bed and he was constantly finishing on the podium. I think in 2013, you could have said that in the second half of the year, behind Sebastian Vettel, Roman Grosjean was the best driver, probably behind Mark Webber too, but yeah, Grosjean was the third best driver that year. Um, so, but in more recent times, I guess he's just not been maximising what he has. And, you know, Magnussen's shown that that Haas car is really quick. Qualifying, you know, even in the races, he'll try and get a result where he can. So, you know, that's potentially a good destination for someone else if they would like to go there. And, uh, yeah, plenty of drivers that would relish the opportunity to move to somewhere like a Haas. So looking at the silly season, I guess we didn't really think that it would be, there would be much to it this year, given that, you know, the big teams have got their drivers locked away till the end of next year. And then, um, you know, last year, who could top uh, Daniel Ricciardo's shock move to Renault from Red Bull? But Ricciardo even could potentially be a player again this year. There's been some reports and some talk about he's got some claws in his contract that uh, if a big team like a Ferrari came calling, that he would be allowed to be released from, from there. Nico Hulkenberg, I've already mentioned a couple of times in the last few weeks, could uh, potentially be a mover as well um, if Renault decide not to... Um, renew his contract so you know Hulkenberg moves away from Renault Esteban Ocon would come back in you'd think um, and that's a plum drive I guess to put Ocon in as well and Ocon versus Ricardo would be really good to see but what if Sebastian Vettel decides to retire at the end of the year then you know the whole thing is up in the air because you know Ricardo would be a contender Fernando Alonso's even been talked about um so many options there and then Hulkenberg potentially to Red Bull so it's sort of one one big move could uh, trickle on and create such a um, a domino effect as we saw last year with Ricardo making the move from Red Bull to Renault but yeah if Vettel for example was to announce that he were to retire at the end of this year then yeah it would be a, a, a pretty big big uh, move in the driver market for all these other guys to to go because at the moment if things stay as they are and we see uh, Vettel see out his contract which is till the end of next year you've got Lewis Hamilton also locked in until the end of next year you think that Bottas would get another year as well at Mercedes given his performances this year he has won two races he's been on pole position a couple of times so it's not as bad as last year um and I really see no reason to sack him going into next year. Um, if anything, a big shake-up for the big teams would probably come uh, for 2021, where, you know, as it's been talked about that, you know, Lewis Hamilton potentially could go to Ferrari, something like that. Who knows? So, yeah, it's all kind of dependent on um, Vettel, whether he stays at Ferrari, whether Hulkenberg uh, moves on from Renault and takes over at Red Bull potentially in place of Pierre Gasly what would happen to Gasly then does he go back to Torosso does he um, go elsewhere Haas are a potential candidate like I wouldn't mind actually seeing if uh, they were to demote Gasly over to Torosso uh, Danny Kvyat break free maybe go to Haas that would be a good fit I reckon uh, for Kvyat at Haas along with Magnussen uh, you'd think that Albon would be held on to at Toro Rosso. Racing point, you don't see Lance Stroll moving, given that his dad owns the team. Sergio Perez, still a solid driver. He's got the funds as well there. You know, probably 
another year or two for him in F1. Who knows? Uh, he wouldn't retire this early, I guess. He'd probably want to see Racing Point move forward. Williams, Kubitzer, you'd think, gets the drop, unfortunately, for next year. And Nicholas Latifi would come in, who's the current reserve driver and is uh, racing in F2 at the moment. He could potentially win the F2 title this year and move on up into uh, into Williams with uh, George Russell. So, yeah, and Alfa Romeo, both their drivers. Well, obviously, Kimi's locked in for another year, and you'd think that they'd hang on to Giovinazzi there. So... Yeah, it's uh, still Poe. There is, I guess, the potential for a few changes heading into next year, but um, you know, it all depends on one or two pieces. And this is sort of generally the time where the rumor mill starts churning out that sort of talk. And then it's uh, when we go into that summer break after the, um, I think it's Hungary this year because last year they had, I don't know, they had it the other way around, and then they're, they're, it's all over the place. Anyway. And I was wrong too. I said I thought that Britain and Germany were back to back this year. They're not. So we've got British Grand Prix this weekend as a standalone, and then it's Germany and Hungary that are back to back with a break after Silverstone. So yeah, we're going to have three races in uh, four weeks coming up. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of around the time where we get that rumor mill sort of churning out these. Uh, this discussion, this talk and everything, and I'm sure we'll get some movement happening when we come out of the other side of the break, uh, when we're at uh, Spa, Monza and the like. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to, I guess, for Silverstone. Not necessarily on-track stuff, but, uh, you know, if we can get a good race in, that would be great. Um, Lewis Hamilton targeting a sixth win. I'm sure everyone will be hoping that he doesn't, but, you know, for the British fans, if he does, then, you know, just... continues to cement his spot as the best driver currently in Formula 1. Supercars now, and um, even though we had a pretty ordinary race on Saturday, race 17, it was actually race 18 on Sunday that really was the uh, wild one. It was wet and wild, actually, for the first time. They had rain up in Townsville, um, and that is not actually true they've it rains in townsville but it's the first time during a v8 supercar race that it's rained up in townsville so you know it was madness straight from the start because david reynolds scott mclaughlin uh clash on the opening lap there was a lot of words said between those two about what happened there so scotty unfortunately you know even though he couldn't win the race he still came back and finished like 11th or something and it was reynolds who Got the DNF next to his name. Shane Van Gisbergen won in the end from Fabian Coulthard, celebrating his 400th race in supercars. And the pole sitter, Cameron Waters. Um, Anton Di Pasquale, I guess. He was a contender to win the race, but unfortunately fell away in those final laps. There was cars on fire in the pit lane. Nick Perkat, of course. Uh, and then we see all those the pit crew members just running from every single team to extinguish the blaze and everything. Gary Jacobson also caught fire on the track towards the end of the race and unfortunately the race had to come to an end behind the safety car and Van Gisbergen made a comment after the race like he still had to finish the race behind one of those uh, Mustangs. Uh, that's not what he exactly he said but you know he said something a bit more fruitier but that's sort of what he was alluding to finishing behind a Mustang again. So, yeah, second win for Van Gisbergen this year. The points, I guess, to McLaughlin. A little bit of a 
cut, but I guess that's why he had this huge lead anyway, 318 points coming into the weekend, so it's no big loss for him, but he's going to have to make sure that they don't have the issues that they had this time last year, where they took a bit of dip in form and everything around QR, Queensland Raceway, and then the bend as well, going over to South Australia in a month's time for that one, so that's how it looks at the top of this championship. There were some best results as well, career best, season best results to come from that race 18 on Sunday. Simona Di Salvestro equaling her career best result in 10th. The GRM guys, James Golding, his uh, best result as a solo driver, 7th. Michael Caruso, who was deputising for Richie Stanaway, who again, with that neck injury, couldn't race Caruso, his return to full-time racing, or just for that weekend, he finished ninth. so great result for the GRM guys, um, so yeah, that's what happens when you get a bit of wet racing, a lot of chaos, uh, tyres, don't know what tyres to put on, because it was greasy conditions, it didn't, it's sort of at the start, it had rained beforehand, then didn't rain, but it was so greasy on track, you didn't know whether to risk it and put the slicks on or get on the wets that sort of thing so you know that we saw everyone sort of going everywhere and yeah it was it was entertaining and a bit nuts so good to see one of those type of races David Reynolds though gotta say forgetful weekend for him so apart from having that clash in uh, on Sunday with McLaughlin he was on pole for Saturday's race but then a wheel nut problem in the pit lane cost him any chance of a victory so he finished down I think in sixth or seventh came out after the race and said though that um, it's a team sport and these things happen so defending his pit crew there which is really good to see you don't want to see any instance of uh, the driver throwing his team under the bus, his or her team under the bus. Um, so good good job there from Reynolds. But again, you know, Erebus, they had the, the speed, but um, couldn't quite get it together. And unfortunately, again, they've let this championship go, you could say, but there'll be definitely contenders when it comes to the Enduro Cup in a couple of races' time, heading to Bathurst, of course, first up in October. Deep breath. Breathe out. <laughs> Silly season time as well in supercars too. So we talked about it in F1. We've got po possible few moves. But for supercars, we do have a big player in contention for a switch, which has been Chas Mostert. We've talked about that a couple of times in the last few weeks. But uh, we got the news over the weekend or before the weekend that DJR Team Penske have locked in their lineup, so Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard are going to stay put, which means there's no door for Chas Mostert to go there. So Chas Mostert now firmly in the sights of Walkinshaw and Dreading United. Um, it's a move that might polarise a few people, given the fact that Chas has been a, a Ford faithful throughout his career, but also have Walkinshaw got themselves in a position to charge for the championship, you know, where Tickford are not, you know, at the moment on form, Walkinshaw don't look the most impressive either, but could there be a bit of a DGR Team Penske behind them? Because now they've got that uh, support from Andretti Autosport and United Autosport that um, could they be lining their ducks up for a crack at the championship in a couple of years? Maybe not next year, but 2021. Um Remember, they talked about potentially making a switch to a Chevrolet Camaro as well. Could this be a uh, 
a really good move for Mostert to do that. Optimist would say so for sure, but uh, it could be career suicide as well. Who knows? Um, Red Bull and Holden, they recommit themselves to Triple Eight, so the Red Bull Holden racing team will continue for another couple of years as well. So people questioned that it was a bit of a weird time to make the announcement, but I guess, you know, now that it's out of the way, we all know what's happening with those guys. So um, even though they've not had the greatest of seasons, it's good to see the commitment is there from that side. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of lot of uh, shifting going on in supercars. So if Mostert were to vacate his seat there at Tickford, does Simona de Silvestro come in potentially? Jack LeBrock also being talked about. It doesn't look like he'll continue with Techno next year. Todd Hazelwood's another guy who could be on the market as well. So there is a lot of movement as always in supercars land. So more will be known obviously in the coming future. So that wraps that one up. Queensland Raceway coming up, of course, and then the Ben Motorsport Park, which I'm s- still excited or, you know, keep forgetting that I'm going there, but uh, excited excited whenever I think about it. And I think they've got Shannon's Nationals on there this weekend too, which will be good to watch. The uh, Australian GT, the Australian Endurance Championship, and TCR as well. So, yeah, going to be watching that I'm sure alongside the British Grand Prix this weekend no MotoGP because they're on their summer break now after the German Grand Prix Mark Marquez won his 10th straight race at the Saxon Ring so you know unstoppable Marquez there and basically he's got one hand on that championship you could say too because uh, it wasn't a great weekend for Ducati they finished down in fourth and fifth um, and if you include Jack Miller in there as well so six so it was Danilo Petrucci who led uh, Davizioso down there so and Alex Rins crashing out of the race too basically um, meant that his faint title hopes faded as a result he crashes out of two races in a row now so a big loss of points there for Rins who could have easily he could have potentially won in Assen you could say in hindsight and then also this weekend or last weekend, I should say, out in the Saxon Ring, could have had another podium there. So, yeah, he crashed out. Quadraro crashed out as well, who um, challenged Marquez off the front row. It was early, early crash for him. So, his run of podiums come to an end. Maverick Vinales second again. Um, he was battling with Cal Crutchlow throughout the race as well for second, but. Crutchlow, who has an injury, I think, uh, I forgot what it was, a knee or foot injury. Anyway, he was injured along with his teammate, Taka Nakagami, who, I think it was in qualifying where there was that image of him getting off his bike when he came back into the garage and went straight onto crutches. So that just shows you the toughness of these uh, MotoGP riders. They just get off their, you know, even though they're not 100% fit, they can go and ride a Grand Prix bike and on one of the gnarliest circuits as well on the calendar, which is the Saxon Ring. It's basically like a roller coaster, and he gets off his bike and gets straight on the crutches. It's it's crazy. So Crutchlow, a lot of crutches. Crutchlow, anyway, Cal, let's say Cal. Yeah, Cal, injured. He elected to settle for third in the end. He didn't want to risk further injury and crash out with Vinales. So Maverick on the podium for the third or second or third consecutive race. Crutchlow third, his first podium since the uh, opening race in Qatar. So good result for him. Already talked about the Ducatis. They were fourth, fifth and sixth with Jack Miller down there. Um, and I said that... Uh, 
Petrucci's been retained by the factory team for next year. Miller likely to stay put with the Pramac team. Valentino Rossi again. Um, it always seems a, a sad, sad story tale for the old doctor. So he said he continued to suffer down there in eighth um, when he made that result in the race. Poor qualifying again basically led to that. And yeah, I don't know what to say more about Rossi other than it's been a pretty awful year. So I hope that things can turn around for him. And it was interesting just reading before, actually, that um, he's hitting back at some critics who are trying to use his age as a as a detractor and the reason for his poor form. And Rossi himself said that age has got nothing to do with it. And you've got to agree with him because, you know, someone like he, who's so experienced, would know the time for him to retire. And age these days in modern sport I don't think is uh should be a detractor because you look all over the world you've got athletes motorcycle riders drivers or whatever sport you're playing you know the ages uh you know you've got them hanging around Kimi Raikkonen turns 40 this year as well um sorry does he pretty sure he does yeah but Kimi Raikkonen's almost there and he's still gonna be racing in Formula One then you've got um, in tennis as well. Roger Federer has just made another Wimbledon semi-final, so you know he's been winning for years and hasn't given up. And then look in the NRL too. Cameron Smith celebrates his 400th game this weekend, so he's the first ever player in NRL to do that as well. So the longevity, I guess, these guys just have a way to keep doing it. So, and a lot of them, their form has still been really good. Uh, Federer still winning Grand Slams, Cameron Smith still one of the best players in rugby league, uh, Kimi Raikkonen as well on his day is uh, is a, still a solid driver who can pick up good results, I mean he, he won a Grand Prix last year as well, so I think he became the oldest uh, oldest driver behind Mansell to, to win a race there, so it just goes to show you age is not a detractor for any for any athlete in the world whether you're male or female so yeah if anyone wants to use that as an excuse i guess it's um or try and use that and reason it to you know reason with it to make it sound like oh it's because they're aged that they can't play well then you know you really don't know much about sport do you so yeah we're not going to ever use age as a uh, as a thing as a detractor on this podcast and um, of any athlete so yeah we'll put that one to bed um, also during the weekend they had the debut of the Moto E World Championship as well so um, watch the race a few of the practice sessions to see what it's like Obviously, a lot slower than the MotoGP bikes because they're a lot heavier with those electric motors on there. It was a five-lap race, um, which was held before the morning warm-ups on the Sunday. It was a wet debut race for them, uh, the Finn Nikki Tuli winning the race. But um, you got to say, for the championship as a whole to make its debut at last, it's, uh, it's a great recovery because if you heard a few months ago when they were at Jerez doing some testing, the whole thing basically the whole championship caught fire um the paddock or whatever uh, there was a battery leak or something that caused a fire and all the bikes were burnt and destroyed so for them to then make that recovery they had to delay the start to the whole series and came to the saxon ring and got going it's come off to a good start so you know it's great to see it underneath the moto gp umbrella it's not its own separate thing you know like formula e is for example 
and you know eventually if this technology improves potentially you know in 40 50 years time we could be racing electric bikes who knows so yeah we'll talk a bit more about that in the coming weeks as well um and see how things i don't think the next race is um for a while i think it's czech republic or austria or even that the next race is at so we'll, we'll see but it's good to see guys like bradley smith in there who's currently the reserve rider test rider for ktm um and also oh not ktm sorry with aprilia jesus <laughs> uh, yeah he's with aprilia said a now also maria herrera too so some pretty big names on that grid so yeah it's going to be an interesting championship i'm sure to watch now it's time for me to try and not break down and um ball my eyes out <laughs> no it's not gonna happen it's not gonna be like that at all um state of origin the decider last night the most anticipated game you could say in origin history went down to the last minute for it to be won um 26 to 20 and it was a last minute try from james tedesco which uh, gave new south wales their first back-to-back -back series win since uh the 04 and 05 um state of origin campaign so you know congratulations to them for for getting the job done of course there was a lot of scrutiny around new south wales after that first game but you know the master class they put on in game two then game three the build-up as well i guess the pressure was on queensland they showed a lot of guts though did queensland um they had the grunt i guess to get it done but you know just in the end they couldn't get it done um it was that last minute try i guess the defense was pretty poor you could say the fact that they let um you know there was a long pass from mitchell pierce who had a pretty decent game for his return to origin um and i guess for him as well personally as a player he would have liked to have uh i guess he got to enjoy that glory of winning an origin series um reunited with his old halves partner and james maloney but yeah it was basically long pass from um pierce over to blake ferguson i think and then he found uh, james tedesco to execute it so where the queensland defense was at that stage it was like come on seriously you know there was could have gone to golden point could have scored a field goal but you know they basically let them run away with that try so that was rather disappointing you could say but it was pretty fierce up until half time where it was tied all at eight all a lot of penalties blown by the refs in the first half which a lot of people are not happy about but um second half then they decide to change their minds and blow very rarely blow very rarely any penalties at all so it just seemed really weird i mean what were they doing the refs out there um, upsetting the flow of the game in the first half but then second half the game is all tied up New South Wales run away with a couple of tries before I think in the last 10 minutes we had Josh Maguire get over the line to score and then a Josh Papali as well to score and the Papali try actually came off the back of a great play from debutant Ethan Lowe the former North Queensland cowboy he charged a James Maloney kick and uh, stripped the ball, was able to set up the Papali try. you got to say, Lowe was arguably the best player for Queensland on the park last night. His field goal, or sorry, his goal kicking was perfect, but also he was involved, you know, in a lot of plays, and I think he had the most tackles as well for the Queenslanders, so great to see him finally burst onto the Origin Arena. Um, 
was kind of sad to see uh, a bit of friendly fire between two of the Cowboys out there. Michael Morgan copping an elbow from Josh McGuire, um, accidental of course, and it knocked Morgan out cold, which was pretty sickening to see that he was actually twitching when he was on the ground after being knocked out there. And um, it's twice in two weeks he's been knocked on the head as uh, Morgan and under concussion protocol. I don't think he's going to be able to play this weekend, unfortunately. Cowboys playing the Roosters, which is a key game. So that's kind of sad to see that, um, yeah, Morgan's been knocked out of that one, literally. (laughs) Not funny at all. Head knocks are not funny. It's serious. (laughs) Very serious. I take concussion very seriously. Um, Yeah, so unfortunate for them there. But you got to say, overall, intensity-wise, it was probably one of the most electric games of Origin that um, has been played in recent times. It was a proper Origin game, just fast-paced, you know, a lot of tackling. Just, yeah, it was like watching an NBA All-Star game, almost, as far as intensity is concerned in the final quarter. They have that really intense final quarter where everything sort of heats up, so... Great to see, I guess, for New South Wales, if you're a New South Wales fan, for them to score their back-to-back uh, series win. Coach Brad Fittler came under fire when he made changes to the team for Game 2, but it all was uh, justified and vindicated at the end. I guess the attention now falls back to Queensland and whether um, Kevin Walters will keep his job. He's contracted for next year, of course, but he might decide to step down. He wants to coach in the club seen probably go over to Gold Coast it's been speculated so Daily Cherry Evans with his captaincy did a decent job this year you'd reckon he'd hang on to that you don't want Queensland you don't want them to panic and do what New South Wales used to do and just panic and make changes as a result of um, losing it was very close in the end it was just that last play that decided it but you know again history only remembers the victor if you want to quote Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on that one. So, um, yeah, for New South Wales, good on them for winning. For Queensland, I guess they're going to have to lick their wounds and come back stronger next year. And I guess that's the end of State of Origin 2 for another year. Um, I always love this time of year with State of Origin. Such an exciting uh, game that they play. So back to old clubland now and um, the run to the finals for those guys. So, yeah, we'll be... uh, Exciting to see how that to- how the top eight shapes there up in the NRL. The Cowboys not looking so great at the moment, and with Morgan out, I guess for this week it's um, yeah against the Roosters who've been one of the form sides of the competition this year. Not looking too good for them, but my hope is still there that they could press for a top eight berth. But um, I don't think I can be disappointed if they don't this year, given that they've not played their best footy for a lot of the time. So before wrapping up, I did say last week I will talk a little bit about the F1 2019 game as well. Um, Cricket World Cup semi-finals too, so quickly on that. We had New Zealand and India play their game over two days, surprisingly, because rain had washed out the first day where New Zealand were batting and they got to finish off their overs um, on the reserve day, which was played yesterday. And then India was unable to chase down the total that they posted, which wasn't a very high total at all. So New Zealand threw to their second uh, World Cup final in consecutive tournaments. And tonight is the big one between Australia and England to decide who will play New Zealand in that final. 
the hope, I guess, is for Australia to make it through. They've had a solid World Cup so far, even though they're, they lost their final group game to South Africa. They've had a few injuries plagued there, set up a little bit with uh, Usman Khawaja, potentially Glenn Maxwell not being able to play. Um, so England, who've been pretty strong, you could say, in the past few games, they beat India, they beat um, New Zealand as well. Can they... Uh, make the final at their home tournament. I guess there'll be a colonial inquiry if they don't um, over there in the uh, UK if they can't make the own, their own final on home soil. But um, yeah, as far as rivals, rivalries are concerned, it's going to be one over the next few months we're going to be looking at more closely because of the Ashes series that's going to be played after this World Cup between Australia and England. So this is almost like a um, an entree before the main course as far as that's concerned but yeah if Australia get the job done it'll be a uh, repeat of the final that they had here in 2015 MCG where Australia absolutely rolled New Zealand New Zealand looked like a better side since then even though they don't have the heavy hitting of Brendan McCullum on hand but New Zealand just seemed like a, a much more balanced side at the moment. So I wish them all the luck. Obviously, you want to get Australia over the line this uh, this evening against England. So Australia, sorry, Australia, New Zealand final will be will be quite interesting, and especially on English soil as well. How's that for for history? <laughs> um, so that'll be great to see. And yeah. I guess kind of happy that the tournament's come to an end as well because it's not been the most enthralling. I already made my reasons clear on a couple of podcasts ago. The whole round robin style system wasn't really, I'm not really a fan of that. Prefer the group stages, just kept it a lot more interesting than just having the system that they had this year. So, yeah, once the finals are done and dusted, I think I'll be happy until the next World Cup in another four years' time. And for the F1 game, um, it's great, you know, it's been it's been good fun. Um, obviously, just the time I spend on any sort of games these days is a lot lower than once upon a time, but there's a lot to do, which is good, so you don't really just have to do career mode or if you're multiplayer-driven, go straight into multiplayer, you know, a lot more cars. You've got the F2 cars in there, which is good, more classic cars, uh, graphics are looking really really good you know if you've got 4k a 4k console or if you're running it on a really high spec pc it'll look really good um and just a lot more features and the career mode as well a little bit more in depth with some rivals being added some uh you know fake people or whatever or some characters i should say not fake people what <laughs> some characters being added to spice up your career mode as well so it's going to be a bit more interesting so yeah liking what i see so far um i've only done the first race in career mode so far which um doesn't well i've done the the f2 prelude because you get to do like a a sort of snapshot of your f2 career at the start of the game and um before you make your debut in f1 and then you do go into the f1 um championship and uh, start from the first race so i've just done that so far you know gameplay good as always and then obviously i've just been trying out a lot of other features as well and uh trying out a lot of those other cars which is good to see so yeah i think it's a solid game um i don't see myself playing it of course every day um i might actually play a bit afterwards 
do some more time trial stuff because I just love going over circuits and doing time trials. I do that on Forza as well. And speaking of Forza, the Forza Horizon Lego expansion, that's actually quite fun. So get that if, you, if you're if you into it. Um, but other than that, yeah, um, going to be a good weekend ahead with the British Grand Prix. So um, who knows, this time next week I might be talking about another Lewis Hamilton win. But... Um, many of you might hope not so wait and see what happens will be a good weekend regardless so i uh, hope you guys enjoy yourselves stay safe um don't do anything i won't and yeah we'll do this all again in a week's time after the british grand prix so thank you for tuning in and have a good weekend